For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. As the Apostle Paul begins to wrap up his letter to Timothy, he charges him to preach the Word of God, and not simply to tell people what they want to hear like so many of the false teachers were doing. Now let's join Pastor Ross in a message entitled, Itching Ears. Alrighty, let's get started. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, we were finishing up the Second letter to Timothy, chapter 4, it's the last chapter, but we'll make it through the first eight um, verses. So let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we, we, we sit and stand in your presence right now, and we just ask, Lord, that the Holy Spirit, who's with us, uh, would soften our hearts and prepare us, and our understanding, to receive the God-breathed word sent from heaven that does not have its origin in any man, but it comes to us through the breath of God Almighty. Father, may we reach our fullest potential in being transformed by the things that we hear today, by putting them into practice, combining them with faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've ever been placed under oath But it's a very sobering um, experience. I had to testify as a character uh, witness a long time ago, and I found it to be very intense. The courtroom itself, I think, is always an intimidating place. Uh, The officers, the decorum, uh, the serious atmosphere. The judge enters, you know, he's robed in black, and everyone stands, and, and your name is called you stand and you walk over and take your place there and all eyes are on you. It's deathly quiet. And the court official puts you under oath. Raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help you, God. I do. You see it a lot in the movies, but you know, when it's your hand going up and, and all eyes are on you and there's a guy standing next to you with a gun. Um, <clears throat> you know, you take it to heart. The whole experience is really enough to get uh, your pulse going a little bit faster. And I suppose Timothy felt a little bit of that as Paul places him under oath and not before any human courtroom, but before the court of the Most High God. Um, He's going to charge him now in the presence of God Almighty here to continue his task and faithfulness here in the closing words of his last letter to Timothy, verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, 
rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I'm already poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Well, let's pause there. Beautiful words, are they not? Such a well-known passage and such a well-loved passage. You know, uh, Psalm 19 comes to mind where it says, God's word is more precious than gold than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, and by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Just pure gold, the word of God. Uh, now, there's a lot of richness in these eight verses, which we'll see, and uh, we, we don't need that up there yet, so thank you for that. There's a lot of uh, richness in these verses, and uh, we want to mind, mind those verses for the gold that's in them. I think there are four things in these couple paragraphs to be looking for. And really, we can kind of, uh, you know, collect our thoughts around these four things. The charge, uh, the challenge, the call to continue, and the comfort that's available to all who love the Lord. So that's how we're going to divide it up. Uh, So first of all, how ironic that this is a letter that's been full of so much personal encouragement to Timothy And I say ironic because Paul is the one who's suffering. Paul's on death row in Mamertine prison there in Rome for the terrible crime of preaching the gospel. He's getting ready to die. And and all he wants to do is encourage Timothy. What's important to Paul right now is not about whining about his personal problems, but about uh, wanting to encourage Timothy and men and women like Timothy and to encourage the church that's under attack out there, and also to strengthen the gospel and the work of the Lord out there. And he knows what Timothy is up against, you know, um, overrun with wannabe teachers, but men with big egos have infiltrated the church where Timothy's left pastoring, trying to get that church back on track. As Paul said, uh, these are men who have wandered away from the truth distorting the gospel to draw away disciples after them, deceiving many and being deceived. And so, you know, Paul's heart goes out to Timothy there. And uh, that's what's prompting now. This dire situation in Ephesus helps him, uh, helps us see why he, he, he wants to put Timothy under uh, the seriousness of an oath before God. There's increasing spiritual deception. There's an intensifying of evil. And uh, here's what he's saying. He's, he's saying, hey, brother, it's not about Caesar's court. And you can put the verse on there now for me. 
Thank you. It's not about Caesar's court or the emperor's verdict, but it's about what God thinks, the courtroom of heaven. And he mentions here in your text, uh, presiding from the bench before whom all will appear, the honorable God, the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and the Lord Jesus Christ, God, the Son, appointed judge of the living and the dead. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, let the fear of the Lord help you withstand the pressure to compromise in a hostile world that, that has rejected the truth and wants nothing to do with it. Let me help you with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, it says in Proverbs 29 and verse 25, will prove, the fear of man, rather, will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. It's better to fear God than to fear man. And so I think this whole, the, the spirit behind the, the close of Paul's letter to Timothy is to remind him and to stir up in him the fear of the Lord. By the fear of the Lord, we, we stand strong. By the fear of the Lord, we avoid evil. By the fear of the Lord, we, we resist temptation. The fear of the Lord is a helpful thing. It brings honor and prosperity, the Bible says. And so I think that's the spirit behind it. He's saying, listen, in the presence of God, I like to say you, you have two members of the Godhead before you, God the Father, and you have God the Son. Well, God the Holy Spirit is not mentioned. It is one God, three persons, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I like to just see, to simplify it, to see Jesus Christ is the visible manifestation of God the Father. In John chapter 14 and verse 9, Jesus told, told Philip, anybody who sees me has seen God the Father. Philip was asking for a vision of God the Father, and he said, how long have I been with you and still you don't recognize me? You see, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, it says that in Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhood in bodily form. So, so Jesus is the God-man. So I like to see this as, as Jesus is the, the, well, like Hebrews chapter one and verse three says of Jesus, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That's who Jesus is. Not just a man. Not just a man, he's God the son. And Timothy you're discharging your duties in full view of God the Father and God the Son. He's present. He's watching. He's mindful. Let that help you the next time you're threatened not to say something because you might offend somebody. God is watching and not from a distance, up close and personal. So he says in your text there, be thinking of him and, and his appearance, in view of his appearance. Wow. Uh, over 2,000 scriptures refer to the second coming of Christ directly and indirectly. And boy, that appearance is going to be something else. Jesus described it as a lightning storm that will light the heavens from east to west in Matthew 24 and verse 27. And John tells us that every eye shall see him even those who crucified him, because they exist, they are alive. They're not, if they did not repent, they are not in a pleasant situation, but they will be able to see 
that every human that was ever created will see that great and glorious day. His appearing will be seen by everyone. Revelation chapter one, verse seven, even those who pierced him, even this guy will see. Wow, there he is. And what did Jesus say when they put him under oath? We charge you by the living God. Tell us whether or not you are the Christ. And he said, well, I'll tell you this much. One day you will see me coming on the clouds with great glory. And they tore their robes. They've heard enough. Timothy, the next time somebody says, you believe that nonsense? You're still preaching that narrow-minded, hate-monging thing? I want you to remember that day. And then you'll have the gumption and the guts and the confidence to stand up, shoulders back, and say, yeah, I do believe it because you know why? It's the truth. And that truth has set my heart free. And that's the truth that will save your soul, sir. Amen? So, Timothy, I want you to keep thinking about his appearance uh, and his beautiful uh, kingdom that's coming. And one day that, uh, you know, if you have Michael the archangel as one of the bailiffs, you know, uh, he will say, all rise and all will rise. (laughs) Trust me. And what does it say? For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, as I live, the Lord swearing, taking an oath, the Lord taking an oath by his own name. I'm swearing by my own self. Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. And then Paul adds, so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God, Timothy. Measure your words and your reactions in this hostile world where it's tough to do what God has called us to do. But at the forefront of your thinking, beyond the intimidation that's coming at you, may the overarching theme of your life be what's coming ahead. What Tennyson wrote, that one far off divine event toward which all creation moves. That's inscribed in one of the buildings in Washington back in the days when (laughs) dot, dot, dot. Back in the days, (laughs) dot, dot, dot. All right, so Timothy, keep that in mind. So in short, he's saying, Timothy, as I bring my letter to to a close, in view of the magnificent presence of the all-seeing God who's watching you in your ministry, in light of the imminent and glorious appearing and the splendor of this kingdom that's coming, there's a, a kingdom, there's a world. There are thrones and rulers and nations in light of that, with full knowledge that he's coming to judge our lives for faithfulness to him and the gospel, promise me, Timothy, promise me in in the sight of God and in the presence of the future realities that are so sacred, they're hard to even mention. In light of all of that, promise me, boy, you will not give in, but that you'll continue to preach the gospel the very thing that's getting you in trouble, that's causing you uh, problems at home, that three go to this side of the table, two go on this side of the table, just like Jesus promised. Promise me that even though it's really, really hard and you could lose your life or your livelihood or your friends or your reputation, promise me 
that you're not going to compromise and go with uh, some other gospel or some kind of truth. Preach the word. And all preaching the word means the word preaches to herald or to announce. So if there's uh, a way out of trouble, somebody comes and announces, hey, everybody, there's a way of escape. To announce God's saving truth, that's what to preach the word means. The word is just a nickname for the gospel. You can call it the gospel, or you can call it the word, or you could call it the faith, but we all know what it means, and if you want to know, well, what is the, what what do you mean preach the word? What do you mean? Matthew 4, let's go to Jesus. What happened when he started? He began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. That's the gospel starts with repent from your sins, turn away from your sins, and turn toward God and trust Jesus the Savior. That's not rocket science. It's the gospel, the good news right there. I've had people say, listen, Pastor, I will never tell somebody to repent. I tell them only about God's love. Jesus started this. He's the founder. I go to him for the example of what good preaching should be. And, and, and it says, Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. So I want to follow Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That Jesus is Lord, that he's coming to judge the world. Judging the living and the dead means that when he appears, there are people who are living and he will judge them. And there are people who have died. But that's not a problem for him because he will judge them as well. And so that's the gospel there. You know, Timothy, preach the word. When you get in the pulpit, man, do not open up a Christian book and teach the people out of a Christian book. Open up the Bible, which means the Biblos, which means the book. Open up the book and preach the word. Don't open up an an author's opinion about the word, which is going on today in many pulpits. Preach the word. Open the scriptures, explain what they mean, apply them to our lives, preach the word. Why? Why Why the center thing? Preach the word. Why? James 1.27, therefore get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the implanted word which can save you. That's why it's so important. Because it's the word that saves. It's the word that heals. It's the word that renews our mind. It's the word that nurtures our souls. It's the word of God that gives us life. So you cannot fill the hour with, uh, you know, illustrations and spiritual pep talks and the latest trendy spiritual ideas and positive thinking and anecdotes. Timothy, preach the word of God. And then he tells you, Timothy, and this is how I want you to do it. Number one, be prepared in season and out of season. In the Greek, it means in suitable times when it's convenient and in ill-timed opportunities. In other words, Timothy, when a soul is stirred and open to the saving of the gospel in Jesus Christ, it's not always at a convenient time for you. 
I mean, people, when their lives are falling apart and they're seeking the Lord, they don't make an appointment to see you at your leisure, generally speaking. When is it? He says, well, sometimes it's on a Sunday when you're ready to go. Sometimes it's like you have your Bible right there. You were having a cup of coffee and somebody asked you a question. You happen to be reading your Bible. Awesome. And, and you've got no, not, nothing on your calendar uh, scheduled for the next hour. That's nice. I'm glad you're ready for that. But how about when you're dropping the kids off to school? How about at your desk? How about at the gym? How about in the locker room? How about at the, the staff room? Where This is where life happens, Timothy. And you, and, and you only get a moment of time. So you have to know that souls are on the line and it happens all through the day. In the least likely places, you're going to have a teachable moment with a child. If you're alert, if you're thinking about it, one author said, the stirring of a soul can happen when we least expect it. And in that moment, we're either ready with a lifeline or we leave them drowning and gasping for air. Jesus was like that. He was ready all the time. He sat down at a well. It says he was tired. It was lunchtime. I mean, he's off the clock, folks. He's tired. He's hungry. He's thirsty, right? No, there's a woman there. And he knows she needs the gospel. She's open, right? It didn't matter if he's walking down the street, he saw a guy in a tree, you know? It didn't matter if he was dying on the cross for the sins of the world. There's a guy next to him, stirred up. Hey, I noticed that the sun stopped shining. I want to change my attitude. (laughs) Is it too late? And Jesus says, no, it's not too late. Today, this day, you'll be in paradise with me. How hard was that? He didn't say, can't you see? I'm a little tied up right now. I'm a little busy. Okay, I'm trying to die here for the sins of the world, man. 1.30 in the morning, my phone rings. I pick it up because I have to. That's my job. I'm at the casino. And... I spent the rent money again. I've been drinking. I need some help, Pastor. I need some help. Do you know what time it is? No, I didn't say that. No. Timothy, when you're sleeping, when you're on your way to work, when you're on your way wherever, I was in a break room once at work at the college at a secular school. And I've told this before because this is just a golden opportunity that we don't always want to take. And everybody's quiet. The room is kind of full. Everybody's reading the paper, munching their lunch. It's quiet. And a guy says, huh, plane crash. Contra Costa County. Little plane. He died. He goes, I wonder if it hurts to die. The other guy says, well, we'll never know. Nobody's died to come back to tell us anything. And all the angels in the room were like, I wonder if there's a Christian nearby. I wonder if there's somebody who's instant in season and out. Hey, listen, I'm on lunch break. I've got a lesson plan here. I'm chowing down on my sandwich. I've got things to do. No, you don't, Timothy. There's a soul, there are souls there listening and God brought a window of opportunity. 
So he says, well, nobody's died and come back to tell us about it. And I said, oh, yes, there, Jesus died and he came back to life to tell us all about it, the way to live forever. And then everybody went back to reading the paper. <laughs> Not one comment. But I was just like, I felt like the Lord was like, you know, just thank you. There was something went into somebody. I don't know. It was a full room, you know. So be ready to go. And, and secondly, they're correct. It's a word that people don't like to do. And if you do like to do it, you probably shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Okay, so it means to show someone what they believe or what they are doing is wrong. And uh, truly, he has in mind the Ephesian opponents, as the commentators like to call them, the false teachers there at the church. Uh, It's not a bad thing to correct somebody if it's done with humility and love and patience and kindness. What does Proverbs 6 and 23 say? It says, uh, uh, correction and instruction is the way of life. So it's okay to correct. Now, word got back to me from a young lady, young adult, And uh, it was after a a sermon uh, about a month ago, one of those boldness, boldness sermons where we are in 2 Timothy. And uh, she said, she was at In-N-Out with some friends. They didn't all go to our church. Uh, But one of them said, hey, it's okay, girls, to move in with your boyfriend and have uh, sexual relations with him because you just ask God for forgiveness. And she said, and she wanted it to get back to me. She said, for the first time in my life, she said, my hand went up and I said, that's not right. She said, that's not what the Bible teaches. And she said, I was so proud of myself. (laughs) She said, I couldn't believe I did it because you know what? She was ready. And not only was she ready, but then she used the word to correct. And she told her. No, let me tell you, we're, we're born again. We're not supposed to be living in sin. He saved us from sin. So easy. But that's what it means to correct. And then the stronger word, rebuke. And he, surely he's thinking of the false teachers now. And a rebuke is just an effort to bring about repentance by some strong consequences for the wrongdoing. Um, and even to be rebuked, I mean, a lot of people are going to end up in heaven because they listened and turned from a rebuke of Jesus. Matthew 23, the seven woes to the Pharisees. You hypocrites, you bunch of snakes. How are you going to escape the wrath of God? Well, Nicodemus did. And then quite a few others. They took the rebuke and it knocked them on the path of life. Blessed be the rebuke that turns a man from the path of destruction and opens the way of blessing instead. And use the word to exhort, you know. Uh, that word there is just to comfort, to guide, and to counsel. And, and uh, the advice and the comfort that anybody would ever need, of course, will find its source in the word of God if it's going to be any lasting value at all. And so as you teach, comfort, and guide, uh, do it with great patience and careful instruction. Now, you know, seriously, um, what good is an encouraging word if it's delivered with an attitude, right? If you're short or rude or insensitive with the Bible, uh, it's a short circuit in the communication. 
I mean, if somebody's struggling with worrying, 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 and you snap at them, you know, the Bible says, have no anxiety about anything, you know? <laughs> I don't think that's going to work, <laughs> you know? I would start to have anxiety on top of my anxiety about you, you know? So don't use the word as a, as a cattle prod or a whip or a club, uh, Timothy. Firm is one thing, but abusive and obnoxious is another. So be patient with the weak and use the word. Hey, listen, we must deliver God's word in the same spirit and character of the author of that word. Careful instruction, just one guy said, put it this way so nicely. When quoting God, carelessness is a great liability for both speaker and the one listening. So you want to be careful you don't want to exaggerate. You know, I'm just helping this person find the Lord, so I'm exaggerating a little bit. He doesn't need that. The word can do the work without our enhancements. You need to be very careful. One slip, one omission, one twist out of context, you can do a lot of damage. So he's saying, Timothy, when you use the word, preach it, but be careful with it. Use it in an accurate way. So that's the charge. And the rest of it flows a lot faster. So he, he says, now for the challenge at hand, uh, verses three and four. For time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires. They're gonna gather around a great number of guys to say what their itching ears wanna hear. They're gonna turn away from the truth and turn instead to myths. Now, that word myths, by the way, King James has a nice fables it's really a synonym for nonsense. It means to make stuff up. So instead of thinking of Roman mythology, really the idea there is, is that people uh, are going to go after anything but the truth. And, and the wilder and weirder it is, the more attractive. And so that's what that word means. So, so the challenge at hand, point number two, he says there's going to be a decreasing tolerance for truth and an increasing hunger for lies, which is going to be the making for a hostile environment for a man who is a truth teller. The world's tolerance, in other words, for the gospel is waning, and the desire, the appetite for truth is, is gone. So that's a big dilemma for the world. Why is it a big dilemma? Well, we don't like what reality the spiritual reality is about God and our need to repent and all of that and be subject to a Lord. But we are spiritual creations and we are designed to worship. So we can't really throw the idea of God out totally. So what we'll do is reinvent him and recreate him in our own image so that we can do what we were designed to do, but only on our own terms. That's what he's talking about. That that's the spirit of the age is, is to make God in the image of our own desires, our values, and our understanding. You know the 80s song, uh, Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac made it popular called Little Lies. Tell me lies, tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. A gal told me, one of my students at that school I taught at, we were talking about the Lord and, you know, perishing came up, you know, and she said, the God I believe in doesn't send anyone to hell, okay? So I said, sorry, I didn't, I'm just trying to remember the context. <clears throat> 
the God I believe in. Do you know how many times I've heard that in my conversations in the world? The God I believe in doesn't do this. Here, let me translate that. The God that I've created, the God that I choose to worship because he fits in line with what I think about the world. You can't do that. That's against the rules. I think I told her that. It's not like you can go like to Chipotle and just get asked, do you want this or that? Do you want this or that? Okay, you know, do you want, uh, do you want impersonal God or personal God? Okay, do you want a male, female? Do you want to say God bless you or goddess bless you? Uh, which do you prefer? Do you want one God or several gods? You know, do you want requirements or no requirements? Do you want a lot of rules or no rules? What do you want? Well, I want that, I want that, I want that. You know, do you want mild, medium, or spicy? You know, <laughs> seriously, you know, uh, the onions? Oh, leave out the onions. Leave out the sin, leave out the repentance, leave out the hell. Because oh, it gives me this breath and people go, whoa. So leave off the onions because I want to smell nice and be really well received by everybody. So leave off the onions, the hard parts. If you leave off the sins and the repentance and the hell, you, you don't have the gospel. You don't have the faith. You got something else. Timothy, promise me in the sight of God, my boy. <laughs> Preach the word, even though it's going to cost you the world's tolerance for the gospel is waning. So they have lots of options, those who are not inclined to receive the truth. That Paul says, great numbers of teachers out there who will gladly tell them what they want to hear to scratch people where their ears itch. Now, I'm an expert at having uh, itches on my back, right? Because I, I just, you know... You know when you get an itch right where you can't reach it? You know, right under your wing. I call it your wing, the shoulder blade, right? And you're like, oh, honey, honey, Barb, can you get this over there? And then you're like, no, no, up, 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 more up, up, up. No, to the right, to the right. Do, do you know right from left? Come on. Yeah, and then it turns into a fight, right? You know, uh, you're like harder, softer. Oh, no, right there. And then, you know, you get it. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 you got it, you got it, you got it, you got it. A, a God, a God who's, it's all about me, and, and, and he wants to make me rich. Or, yeah, thank you. All right, and no diseases ever, no diseases ever. All I have to do is have the faith and speak it into existence, and it'll happen. Oh, yeah, 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 oh, you got it right there. You, oh, sorry. I'm embarrassing people who know me right now and love me. <laughs> I'm looking for a certain relative of mine because <laughs> I always put him through when I get overly animated. <laughs> I got an itch. Oh, I want a heaven, only heaven. I don't want a hell for anybody. So I'm more forgiving than Jesus. <laughs> oh, scratch me, scratch me. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. Love wins out. All the everyone goes, everyone goes, yes, thank you very much. Oh, you get that. You can get anything you want. It's out there. Paul says so. The Bible says so. Let me just quote you from 
uh, one of the churches in town from their statement of faith. We affirm your right to choose the spiritual path that speaks to your own heart. So you can come to that church and all the Yelps are, it's all caps, amazing. The love, the tolerance, everybody pulling together, Christians, Buddhists, uh, Muslims, gay people, straight people. It's just beautiful. There will be hell to pay when that congregant's path that they chose that was sanctioned by the clergy of the church ends up in eternal damnation. Just going to be hell to pay. And if there are layers of hell, the bottom ones are reserved for people who pat other souls on the back and directed them in God's name to hell. It's happening all around me and all around you. Timothy, watch out. They're turning to nonsense. They'll believe anything uh, but the truth. What are you going to do? Now he says, what are you going to do? Five through seven. But you... Keep your head through all of this in every situation. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I'm already doing that. I've poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. So number three here, the call to continue. The call to continue. Now, here's what you do. There's a lot going on out there, Timothy. It's a jungle, man. Theological madness. Some abandoning the faith. Deceived masses. The intensification of evil. He says, don't let it get to you. Keep your peace. Stay your mind on the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can be really in the Greek. Keep your head means to be clear-minded so that you can act reasonably. Don't fall to pieces. Don't get entangled and sidetracked. Stay focused. You know, I like to say, eyes on Christ, nose in the book, knees on the ground, hands busy serving, and a heart loving God, and no panicking allowed. Number two, endure hardship. He's just saying, preserve in your ministry. Do the Christian thing, even if it means suffering, because it does. Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And he said, look, if they treated me this way, what do you think they're going to do to you? You have the same message and same spirit living inside of you. You're going to get the same reception as I did. They nailed me to a cross. You're not above me. You're my student. You're not above the master. And if they, they, if they would have received me, they would have received you. But as it is, they do not appreciate you or accept you because you do not belong to the world. I have taken you out of the world. Discharge, uh, do your work as a, uh, of an evangelist. He's saying, listen, while these guys, and they're characterized, the false teachers, characterized by their love of dialogue and talking, and they want to talk about phrases and spirituality. He says, while you're talking and babbling around in idle babble, seven souls in the city perished. Timothy, make it your, your 
overarching theme of your Christian life, souls, souls. Is my mom going to perish? Is your little brother going to be separated from Christ forever? Is that true? Do you believe that? Is that person at work who's annoying you, is that person going to stand at the great white throne judgment and and hear God Almighty say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Timothy, now's the, the time to have souls front and center. Souls, souls, souls. Get him in the lifeboat, Timothy. And discharge all the duties of your ministry. There are things that stop us and hinder us from completing the work God has called us to do. Whether it be fear or unbelief or the cares of this world or whatever it is. Criticism, it's a real downer. Discouragement or a besetting sin. Somebody asked me, what what do you mean when you say besetting sin? It's a sin that grabs you by the scruff of your throat and, and never lets you go. I mean, you, you had it all your life kind of thing. It's the, it's the Goliath of all your problems. But the Holy Spirit says that no sin, you deal with no sin that you can't, you're not able to overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so verse six says, hey, listen, you're gonna have to dis- discharge all your duties uh, without me being around. And here's where the lump in the throat comes. He says, hey, Timothy, uh, I've, I've discharged all my duties. My tasks have been accomplished, so it's time to go. And he uses two terms that are really beautiful there. The first is he describes his life as a, a drink offering, and, and that's beautiful. If you want to know about the Old Testament drink offering, it's in Exodus 29 and Numbers 15. And here's what it was like. Drink offerings were about a quart of wine, that got uh, poured onto the actual sacrifices in the morning and the evening at the tabernacle or at the temple. So they went along with the regular sacrifices. And what the sacrifices really symbolized was reconciliation between the sinner and God. So much so that they could have a meal together. So they ended up having a meal together. God's part was imaginary. Uh, But then they'd have a barbecue and those grain offerings and the wine and, and the meat uh, were used as a meal, and they'd have communion right there. So he's saying, of course, the, the drink offering was prophetic to pouring out of blood that made the reconciliation possible. And that, we know, pointed to the Lamb of God's blood that when they pierced his side, the blood poured out. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he said, Drink this cup. It is my blood poured out for you, the same language as, as I am a offering. So what Paul's saying is, nobody's exec- executing me. I'm worshiping the Lord here. I'm pouring out my life. I poured it out for all the years he gave me living. I ministered to him, for him. And now in my execution, I'm pouring it out. That's what we're called to do. Sometimes, you know, you feel like you're giving, you're giving, you're giving, and the needs never go away. But when you think, I'm worshiping the Lord, I'm not holding my life back. I'm not trying to save my life. I'm trying to be poured out all the way, every last drop, 
And he says, listen, I'm about to worship the Lord here. They're not taking my life. I'm offering my life. And then the second word, departure, it's a beautiful word. It means to be loosed and, and primarily as a boat that was anchored and, and you loose the anchor and let the boat sail out to open waters. And that is the meaning of the, the departure. It's a Christian euphemism for death. It's also used to loose the chains of a prisoner who could now be set free. Yesterday in this very room, Quite a few people gathered for the memorial service of Roger Rex. Roger Rex was a part of our congregation for a few years and a, and a friend of mine. Um, we became friends because he had melanoma and he had um, chemotherapy. And when I heard he was having chemotherapy, since I had chemotherapy and all of that, I went and would sit with him and get to know him there while he was having his uh, infusions. And uh, about a month ago, I had him. He was right here for service. I said, Roger, why don't you stand? The doctor had found a recurrence. And uh, we were all concerned about that. We all prayed. And uh, a few weeks ago, uh, he had flu-like symptoms. And he went to the ER at Kaiser. And the doc said, you have two weeks to live. And he had such peace. I was in the room that day. And he said, uh, he said, I have God's peace. He said, I knew this was coming when they told me I had melanoma. But I had a sense that this was going to be the way that the Lord would call me to be with him. Uh, but I had baptized him, and he gave his testimony at the baptism, right? And somebody videoed it and loaded it on our Drobo, and we had it. I had never seen it until we played it after I preached the sermon that, that Roger told me to preach. And I preached it, it was well received, and then I had him testify at his own memorial service. <laughs> it was so cool. And all his friends are there, and you know, yes. In fact, Louise is here with us right here. I'm not gonna call her out, but if you see her, give her a big hug. So, uh, Roger departed, he was loosed, the anchor came loose. It also means to loosen up the tent pegs of a stake, uh, of the stake for the tent when you're moving to a new location. And so he has moved to a new location. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Three beautiful statements in Greek. In Greek, it says, the good fight I have fought, the race I have completed, the faith I have kept. And he's not like tooting his own horn here. He knows that Timothy has to face really the same world, the same troubles, the same challenges, the same goals. So he's, he's saying, listen, I did it, Timothy. Can you say the same? Do you want to say the same? Man, I, when I'm in Roger's place, and I told, I whispered in his ear, I said, Roger, the bed that you're on, I'll be on that bed. And everybody in this room, you see the nurse over there? She'll have her turn, right? When I'm on that bed, I want to be able to say, hey, I, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. That's why he's saying it. Paul's kind of a humble guy, but he's saying, Timothy, this, this is what you're going to want to say. And you'll do that by keeping his word. So how about some... Comfort now. The last verse, verse 8, 
Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, and that's a jab at who? The unrighteous judge who just condemned him to death. He's saying, hey, I was just in a courtroom, but now I'm departing to another courtroom, and instead of being condemned, I'm going to be commended. Instead of dying, I'm going to come to life. Instead of being an object of shame and ridicule, I'm going to be an object of honor because of him. And he says, the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me, but all who have longed for his appearing. So things are looking up. One commentator from the 1700s, Clark, a British theologian, put it this way. Here are the last words of a man condemned to die. And it's impossible to see Paul in a more advantageous point of view than which he now appears. Standing on the brink of eternity, full of God and hope and confidence and joy and strongly anticipating an eternity of glory. Who, who are the real winners and losers in life? It's an upside down world, you know? Emperor, the royalty, everybody's bowing down to him. He's the loser. And the, the shamed criminal, little Apostle Paul, kind of old and battered and just sitting there like this in his dirty prison clothes, he's a stellar winner in heaven's eyes. So things are looking up for you. He, he's he's going to say, Timothy, it's not all for nothing. There's a crown. There's a prize. There's a crown reserved for me, for us, for you. Two words in the Greek for the word crown. One means royal crown, and that's reserved for Jesus. You never see that word for us. Every time that we're crowned anywhere in the Bible, it's the second word. It's Stephanos in the Greek, and you know, you know that the Apostle Paul had to think about Stephen when he's writing this. Stephen died at the Apostle Paul's hands. He was martyred, and Paul was like, two thumbs up, kill him. What? grace on his deathbed, he's able to say, hey, there's, there's Stephen, <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a crown, there's a crown for a guy like me, a crown of righteousness that's so, so amazing. It's the athlete's prize. It's the victor's wreath, only it's not a wreath, it's like a real crown. The Bible talks about five different kinds of crowns. You know, if you're a note taker, they're in 1 Corinthians 9, the incorruptible crown. 1 Thessalonians 2, the crown of rejoicing. Uh, James chapter 1, the crown of life. Commentators say that's for the crown of those who have been martyred. Uh, the crown of righteousness, as it appears here. And then the crown of glory in 1 Peter 5. Different crowns and rewards. You know, salvation is free. You can do nothing to earn it. But there, by your faithfulness and by what you go through and how you go through it, God says there are differing rewards. Now, David Guzik said it well, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara. He said, some people worry unnecessarily about rewards. Quote, what if I don't get a crown? Uh, what if my crown is really small? <laughs> you know, that's a lady's worst nightmare, right? The, ju the jewels are really tiny and the diamonds are, yeah, small. 
What if the Lord is disappointed in me in all of that? I like what he wrote. He just said, we should ignore all the speculation, such speculation, and simply be busy serving and glorifying God, and our crown will take care of itself. And it sounds like to me that it's pretty easy to get one of these crowns. It seems like it's, a, it's available. Look, not just to me, the great apostle Paul, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Well, if you put it that way, it sounds like I could, I could probably get one of those crowns. I've, I, well, then I started thinking, what does long for his appearing mean? Because I want one of those grounds, right? So I want to make sure that I'm longing for his appearing. So I, I thought, what does that look like? Am I doing that? Do I long for his appearing? So I started thinking of a time when I longed to see somebody so I could examine what it was I was doing while I was waiting to see them. So <laughs> I thought about in Japan. We were missionaries there for about four years. My kids were little. They were about... One, three, and five, when they took a vacation in the summers, Barb would go home. I couldn't go home for five weeks or even six weeks. And sometimes they would go home for the summer to America. And during that time, I longed to see them. Now, not going to lie, the first two days were really nice. <clears throat> it's church. We got to be honest, people. But after a while, the laundry started to pile up. The dishes were Mount Everest, you know, and I had to dig myself out with the jaws of life. Now, I started thinking, what was life like when I was, oh, well, I was thinking a lot about them, right? I'd wake up thinking about them, wondering what they're doing, you know. My mind was always occupied with them. You know, even though I'm doing stuff like this, I'm still thinking about them, right? Uh, they're on my mind much of the time, and I communicated with them, but I couldn't wait to hear their voices on the phone, you know, even though we couldn't afford a lot of calling, but we'd call, we'd talk, hey, daddy, and all of that. Oh, I just drank it all in, and Barb's beautiful voice as well. And then, you know, preparing for the return. I was prepared. I had to clean that house. It took about a week. <laughs> All right. I had to clean up, you know, and I bought them little gifts. And I was anticipating the time when we were going to be together again. And I certainly would not have done anything to hurt them or to be unfaithful to their mom or to my wife. While I'm longing to see them, I'm longing to see you, I wouldn't be doing something hurtful, right? So these are the check, 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 check. Am I doing these things? And you know what, last, lastly, I showed up where I was supposed to be the right time at the right place to, to make the contact. And I mean, I was there. I knew where I needed to be, and I was there. I showed up. I was there when they came off the plane in Komatsu, International Airport there in Kanazawa. There they were. But I was there. I made sure I was in that place that I needed to be. Do you long for his appearing? You have a relationship with him. You love him. You care about him. 
You're done with this world. You're a citizen of heaven. You don't fit here. You just have a longing oh, to be not broken, but whole. To not be unclothed, but clothed. Not in a world that exalts wickedness, but in a world that no wickedness can enter. Do you long for that? He goes, then, you've got something coming. The crown of righteousness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so undeserving of anything, but you are so gracious. So thank you. We, we open our hearts and we receive all these wonderful truths that, that excite our souls and make us long even more for your appearing. We thank you, God, for the example of the Apostle Paul. What a, what a great man of God. And uh, thank you for Timothy and thank you for all the Timothys in this room. Lord, help us to take your word to heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.